Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the songs that we've just sang in your praise. Father, we pray that you help us contemplate on them. You help us consider those words. And we pray that they not be just words that we sing, but the way we live our lives out. Father, we pray that um, every breath that we take proclaims your greatness. Every action that we take, every word that we say, every word that we don't say, Father, we pray that all of that collectively proclaims your greatness. Father, we thank you because uh, you have said we are the light of the world. Father, we pray that that light, that you help us shine it, shine it from the mountaintops, shine it for the world to see, that that light continually draws men to you. Father, we know that we cannot do it of our own power. We know that your spirit, your spirit can enable that in us or enables that in us. Father, we thank you because you're a good and gracious God. Father, we know that we've been reminded recently of just the greatest gift ever given. Father, we pray that uh, it doesn't stop at Christmas, but it's something that we continually proclaim and continue, that it continually transforms us, that that message of the gospel continually transforms us, transforms our relationships, and, and, and sets the course of our lives and determines our actions. Father, as we open your word this morning, Father, we pray that you meet us, you meet us there. Father, as your word is proclaimed this morning, we pray that your spirit does a work as we hear it, and that transformation happens from us hearing your word. We pray that you're glorified above anything else in, in the proclaiming of your word and in us living it out. Father, as David opens your word to us, we pray a special anointing for him. We pray that your word comes to us with clarity, Lord. Where conviction is needed, we pray that it comes with conviction. And we pray that you do a mighty work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Hope y'all are doing really well this new, new year. Um, so it was such a joy to be able to go with our young adults to uh, CrossCon. So if my eyes look like they're half open, it's because my eyes are half open. I am definitely not in the 18 to 25 category anymore. And um Trying to keep up with this crew. Good grief, man. They can go without sleep. They can get up and like be happy and 
and work for a little while without coffee. It's crazy. Not long, but for a little while. Uh, it's been it's been really good too because in the process of of being in that environment in that context, it's helped me as I've been just thinking a lot about church and the church and who we are right now, who we're called to be, what the church is supposed to be, who we are in this environment. What does it look like to be the church that Christ established over two thousand years ago in twenty twenty four? Uh, what changes? What's the same? There's so many questions, so many things that have been going through my mind about this. And I've specifically landed on this idea of church fellowship, rethinking church fellowship. Because usually when we when we talk about church fellowship, it usually involves an event, right? We're going to have a fellowship. We're going to get together for a church fellowship, a men's fellowship, a women's fellowship, a youth fellowship, whatever. All this idea about fellowship tends to be around uh, an event. And um, in in looking, this is actually, I'm, I'm planning on this being a, a four-week series. We're going to see. I'm going to get as far as I can. And then if I don't get far enough, we're going to stop and I'll pick it up next week or whatever. But um, I want us to spend this first month really kind of thinking about this and and kind of projecting where we are going and, and how we're to get there and why we're supposed to go in that direction. So I chose for this this graphic a handshake uh, kind of as a visual, because I think I think it gets the point across that I'm trying to make here in church fellowship, because there there really can be different kinds of, of handshakes or hand clasping, grasping, whatever. Um, one is when you see somebody that you don't know, or you see somebody you barely know, and you kind of give them a handshake and you give that, hey, how are you? I'm fine. You? Good. You? Yeah, right. And so it's it's that acquaintance kind of thing. It's it's nice, it's appropriate, uh, and, and it's a good thing to do. But the different kind is more like two people who are grasping hands in a in a like a partnership who are about to walk through something really really difficult together, and they're they may not be sure on what the outcome is, and so they're like, "Let's go, let's do this." Or they're coming out of something really difficult, and they grab hands and maybe they give a big hug. These are this is a different kind of category. So one, you have more like strangers or acquaintances. The others are more like brothers or sisters who have been through it together or who are going through it. And I see, I think as we rethink what this church fellowship is about, we need to kind of figure out where we are. And that may be us as a church as a whole. It could be us as individuals. I think in some ways we get this right and sometimes we get this wrong. I know when sometimes I get it right and sometimes I get it very, very wrong. And so how can we grow together in that? What are we supposed to be? I think with exceptions on either of these, I'm pretty convinced that most of the church in the West is really the former. I think the way our churches are structured tend to often kind of lend towards that. We go do our thing throughout the week, and then we come in on a Sunday and we kind of, hey, how are you doing? right? There's, there's not a lot of depth. Again, exceptions. But overall, the church in the West, the American church, tends to be a little more like that. Now, throughout our lifetimes, that's gotten us by. You know, when I was growing up, that was fine, really, because uh, the world was pretty even kill. Keel, I think that is. It's pretty even. But we have moved through what has become known as a post-Christian world to what 
is now being referred to as an anti-Christian world. I'm hearing that used more and more. And if you spend any time on on social media and you hear you see somebody who posts something publicly about their faith, about you know Christianity or something in the world, if you just if you just glance in the threads that follow that, it is brutal. It is brutal. And it is like a pile on. And that I think really does echo or reflect the overall sentiment of our culture where Christian is considered the evil. Christianity is considered the blight on society. And so we are living in that anti-Christian era. And I I really think it's going to do nothing but get, get worse more difficult as we go. And so so if we're going to walk with Jesus through this world that is not our home, if you're a believer in Jesus, we have to get that in our heads and in our hearts. This is not our home. So if we are going to walk with Jesus through this world, it's going to be harder. And so our idea of church fellowship really needs to change. It has to change. But also, if the world around us is going to hear and see the gospel, which is their only hope of escape from the righteous judgment of God, then our idea of church fellowship has to change. And so when I say that we're going to rethink church fellowship, we're literally talking about the two Greek words that make that up. And I think they're Greek words that you've you've probably, most of you have been familiar with, you've heard, we've talked about it some here, but they're some of the more popular Greek words that you might hear and, and understand. Uh, the first is ecclesia. You've heard that. Anytime we talk about, you know, the kind of the, the origin of our name here, we use that word. And then the second one is koinonia. So usually ecclesia is church. Koinonia is usually called fellowship. So when we're looking at church fellowship, we're literally talking about those two words how they're used, and who we are called to be. So I want us to start with ecclesia. Again, we're going to get as far as we can. My goal is to get through both of these words today because I want to unpack them in the weeks to come more fully. But if we don't, we don't. So we're going to focus in on ecclesia here first. And when we're talking about ecclesia, we are literally talking about a called together assembly. Now you see how ecclesia is a literal, is a transliteration of the Greek word. Ecclesia, that's what we call it that because that's the way it's written in the Greek. And it is a called together assembly. It's used 20 times in the New Testament, always referring to the church. In the New Testament, it's used twice. I mean, in the Gospels, it's used twice, both by Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I also pray to you, uh, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia. And the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise for us. Matthew 18, 17, regarding church discipline. Jesus said, if the offender doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. So we see that this is used throughout the the New Testament. But we also want to see how, what it looks like. And so I've got three major interconnected characteristics in the sense that you'll hear these, you kind of go, ah, I see how that really works. And you could almost use that interconnectedly. That's why I said interconnected, because they're very, very similar, but definitely different. So the first one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And Paul says this, uh, it starts off his letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, 
by God's will and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. So he says here, this is uh, an apostle with Timothy, our brother, to the church, the ecclesia of God uh, at Corinth. And so it is both the people who are called out and the people who are called together in the location. So they are the church that as that is in ecclesia with all the, and look at this, with all the saints. This is important that we see this. With all the saints, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do the that, and then I want to do this. Y'all going to catch, I'm going to catch up. Is that working? No, I'm scribbling it out. Hang on, that's not good. That's not what I'm going to do. Grace. Once I get the hang of this in a second, we're going to be rolling. All right, with all the saints, I want to point that out, right? Who are throughout Achaia. And so we have there saints, which means Hagios, which is God's sanctified people to the church of God at Corinth with all of the sanctified people who are throughout Achaia. So it is a body assembly of sanctified people who are gathering of the called ones, the gathering of the called out ones. What are they called out to? They're called out to be those who are called to salvation. They're sanctified believers, sanctified to be holy, to be set apart from the eternal effects of sin. So they are set apart from the judgment or the effects of the judgment of God on sin. Those who are called out into salvation, right? So it's referring to sinners redeemed by Christ through faith. This means they're positionally complete. We've talked a lot about that. They are positionally complete, positionally perfected, but they are conditionally becoming, right? So that when one is called out, who is called to salvation, they are positionally perfected. But throughout our lives, we are becoming sanctified. So we can say that we are sanctified and we are being sanctified. So in that sense, we have been sanctified from the penalty of sin, but we are being sanctified from the influence of sin. And we do that through becoming closer to Jesus. If we're ever doing marriage counseling, we talk about how a couple, if they really want to get, uh, they want a stronger relationship and they're believing couple, which that's the way marriage works. We'll say to the, to the husband and to the wife, hey, you want to get a closer relationship. Then you focus husband on getting as close to Jesus as you can. Wife, you want a good, a good marriage. You focus on getting as close to Jesus as you can. And what we find is what Karen and I found, the closer we get to Jesus individually, the closer we get to each other. So as close as we can get to Jesus, we are drawn in together in that triangle of relationship. It happens within the church too. The more those in the church are becoming in relationship to Christ, the more like the church that Christ designed comes into focus. So we're called, we're called to salvation, but we're also called to serve. Spiritual gifts are exercised for the common good within the church. We look in Ephesians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 
a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Why? For the common good. Right? So when believers are walking with Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the needs of the congregation will be met by other members, not just the pastors. Right? So a manifestation of the Spirit within the context of the church is given to each person. And if we look in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he being Christ gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So there's that leadership structure in the church that God has called out for a reason. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, why is this important? Because God calls us to be a part of a local expression of his universal church. We are called to be a part of the local expression of the church. It's why we emphasize membership, covenant membership within our church. And we make sure that people who want to be here, who feel called to be here, are here, are in this place as a part of us. And those who are not supposed to be here, we help find where they're supposed to be. Why? Because they have been gifted to be a part of a local expression of the church. And so God calls you here. If he's called you here to be a part of the church, it is with spiritual gifts if you're a, a redeemed believer and your gifts are supposed to be used here, which is why it's so important to find out what that is. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then to get involved within the context of the church. So if, if you find it's like, I, I don't know, I don't exactly fit here. I can't, I can't say why. Then it could be that you're called to be at a different church or vice versa. Somebody needs to be here and the Lord will guide them here. And it's the job of the leadership to help work all this out in the process of relationships. So secondly, number two, a healthy ecclesia is made up of committed members who through prayer are exploring, discovering, and exercising their spiritual gifts for the greater good of the body of Christ. So that's, that's very, very important that we understand this part, that it is through prayer, through prayer, we're exploring, hey, what, are my, what is my giftedness? What might be my giftedness? Lord, would you reveal that? So we're exploring, we're discovering. You know what? I, I seem to be moving in this direction. And this is not a sermon on spiritual gifts, so we'll have to unpack that individually or in groups. We can do that. But also then exercising spiritual gifts for the greater good of the body. See, this is less about getting, which is, really one of the focus points of a lot of people in church in America is I go to a church for what I get, for what I can get out of this. I want to get something out of the sermon. I want to get something out of Bible study. I want to get some, and there's nothing wrong with that because you will get, but that's the wrong focus. The wrong, the, the right focus is what can I give? How can I serve? How can I be a part of that? So it is less about getting than giving, though the more we give, the more we receive. The more we serve, the more we receive in return, especially since there is a mutual meeting of needs that builds an intense unity within the body. How? Well, one is just the fact that we are seeking and desiring and working towards being the, the church that Jesus Christ has designed. And so blessing comes built into that. As we seek after Christ, there is a blessing that comes with being who God made us. But secondly, on a real practical level, you know what, if you're, if you're serving me, 
if you're if you're like taking care of my needs, I'm going to I'm going to want to be with you more. I'm going to love that. I'm going to know that I am being loved and cared for because you're meeting my needs. Same with as you're meeting each other needs. You want to be around. You're drawn to those people who demonstrate their love for you. Now, if all you want to do when you're around me is take or use me, opposite is probably going to be the truth, but be true. I'm, I'm going to keep my distance. So there is a unity that is built as we are meeting one another's needs, where the byproduct is a close, unified relationship. And that's just natural. It's the way we are designed. So if we're going to be the church that is unified, it's going to be because we are doing what the church is called to do. We're going to meet one another's needs. This is why it is more blessed to give than to receive. The third characteristic here is that the ecclesia is the primary agent through which the kingdom of God is built and the saints are cared for. The ecclesia is the primary agent through which the kingdom of God is built in the world, established within the world, and the saints are cared for. So the way this works, when a church is healthy internally, it will desire. It will desire to reach out. It will desire to meet the needs of those around them in the community, which is more of a natural progression than a primary aim. As we meet the needs of those within us, we get healthy because we are unified. The overflow is our desire to meet the needs in the uh, the community. And the wonderful way that this is designed is this. I want you to take a look at it. It's a lot, but I want you to see it. So as a church focuses on caring for one another, loving one another, meeting one another's needs, the church becomes more attractive to those who are hungry for that kind of community. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. If if you are out in the world by yourself, you're alone, you don't have friends, you don't have good relationships, or the relationships you, you have tend to be self-focused, that's, that's a generalization, all right? So I'm making a general statement. But if you've got someone who is on the outside and you find yourself uh, around people like those within the church that have something special, it's like, you know what, I, I got sick and I got... Man, I had people who were bringing me food and they were caring for me and they were saying, hey, can I keep your kids? Can I, can I do this? Can I do that? There is something about that that God uses to say, you know what, I need, I don't have that. And what that does is create, create an opportunity for the gospel so that we can then verbalize, here's the difference. The difference is not that we have just agreed together that we're going to take care of each other. The difference is that we have been redeemed by Jesus. We have been made new and we have been made into people who care and meet one another's needs. And that is called the church. It gives a great opportunity for the gospel. And the love of Jesus begins to grow in the church collectively, leading to a desire to follow Jesus more closely and prioritize what Jesus prioritized, which, of course, is caring for the needs. So it all works together. It is this wonderful cycle that Christ has created that moves us into being a caring body body of believers. So to summarize in all of this, our goal is not to build a church to our liking. Our, church, our goal is not to build a church that meets our needs, that fits our personal desires. But it is to be the church that Christ is building to be the church that we, that we see in Scripture, 
to consider what his word says about who we should be and how we are to live together in faith in this world. And so we back up a little bit. We say, are, are we that church? Are we that ecclesia, that local expression of the ecclesia? How we know that, how we figure that out is by determining how we do relate to each other within the ecclesia. And that is the word koinonia. You can see again, it's just a transliteration of a Greek word. You can even make that out probably even if you don't know Greek, it doesn't matter there, koinonia, you see it. I want to provide a working definition of this because here's where we really get into who we are who we should be, who we will be as an ecclesia, as a church, a a, a, um, local expression of the church. Now, this is a a lengthy working definition. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a working definition because this can change. What what I've put together is something I hope will spark conversation within our body and working together in groups to figure out, hey, how how does this work out? So, so I want to work through, and the rest of my time here, I want to spend really working through this definition uh, piece by piece. So we're going to take it a little at a time, but I want to read it to you. Koinonia is deep, self-revelatory, self-sacrificing covenant relationship within the ecclesia, established by the effectual call of the Father into unity with Christ, based on the atoning work of Christ, then expressed in the same kind of relationship with each other as we hear, we respond to, and we live according to the gospel. Okay, a lot there. There's a lot in that. And so we're going to break that down uh, as we go. And so I'm going to start back with this very first, first part. It is a deep, self-revelatory relationship. So it's one of those things where we become dissatisfied with the surface. We get really, really tired of staying on the surface. We, I got to tell you, I am among the world's worst with small talk. If, if we're hanging out after, I'm terrible at it. Some of you are just awesome. I just, I marvel at the fact you can just go on and on and on for days. I say like two things and I'm like, well, have a good week. I'm just like, ah. but if we start to go deep, man, that's different. If we start to talk about, what, what we're struggling with, what we're dealing with, what, what is difficult, what is good, what is celebratory. Man, I can sit and talk about, about that all day. I find that that it makes me excited. It helps me grow. But just the, now, I've just set myself up for failure, I know, because like after this is over, small talk time, right? And I hate that. But, but still, we, when you want this kind of poinonia, You long to get past that. That's a good starting point, but you long to get past that into what is deep, self-revelatory. That's dangerous, right? That's dangerous because now that means I'm getting to the point in my relationship with you where I'm prepared to start talking about me, not in necessarily the good way, but me when I'm in the mud, me, the, the dirty parts that I'm trying to, give over to the Lord to clean, 
when I'm starting to tell you about who I really am, about the struggles I really have. And, and when you engage with other people in those deep self-revelatory kind of relationships, that's when you're moving into koinonia. That's when you're getting into the real nuts and bolts of what it means to do life together. We can't come here on a Sunday and see each other next Sunday and say, we're doing life together because we're not. There has to be more intentional things. We're going to go into deep uh, into the depths of that in the coming weeks. But this, this koinonia is that longing <laughs> and working towards this deep self-revelatory kind of relationship. Secondly, it is self-sacrificing. It's self-sacrificing. Hebrews 13, 6 says, don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. The word share is the word koinonias. It is the word from the, it's from the root koinonia. So the sharing is a part of what we do as a body of believers. As, as a, an, an ecclesia, we share in the good th things. We share in the difficult things. Uh, in all of the things that we have as a body, we share them. In verse 26 of Romans 15, Paul was writing. He said, Macedonia and Achaia were, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints. They were pleased to make a contribution. The word there for contribution is koinonian. So they were very pleased. It's what they did. They did it naturally. We went through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. We talked about how they gave a testimony to the work of God in their lives by contributing to Macedonia. He's talking about these folks. That was koinonia. Together they wanted to make a contribution. Together they wanted to work and meet a need. Part of being the church, the ecclesia, is that we have that koinonia kind of fellowship that says, there's a need, let's meet it. There's something going on, let's do it together. Unless we, we uh, limit ourselves in saying it's just about giving money, it's not. It is about giving. It's about giving yourself. It is about giving whatever it takes to make an impact in the lives of other people that need that kind of ministry. So it is self-sacrificing. It is giving when it's hard. It's giving when it's not convenient. It is saying, I want to do this with what I have. I want to do this with my time, but there's a need. I'm going to meet that need. That's, that's Jesus level. I mean, that's like a Holy Spirit level because that's not in our, that's not in our nature. I have what I have and I want to do with it what I want to do with it. So self-sacrificing when the spirit is moving in us to meet a need, to take care of people around us. So then we have that it is a covenant relationship within the ecclesia. It is a covenant relationship within the ecclesia. This is where we get to Acts 2.42, which is usually the main verse that, that's referred to when we're talking about koinonia. It is where uh, Luke says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So you literally have fellowship there, which is koinonia. But this is this, this word devoted is important. 
They devoted themselves. This is more than they just showed up. This is more than they came when it was convenient. They devoted themselves. This is the word that means to persevere devotedly or to continue steadfastly together. So to be devoted is to be loyal. This is where we understand a covenant relationship, an agreement, a, a voluntary agreement together to mutual devotions, in essence, to be the church. This is when we don't run when it gets hard. This is where covenant relationship says we're going to do the hard work of relationship because why? We don't want the surface only. If you don't, I mean, if you want to stay on the surface, that's pretty safe because you can come and go as you want. If you want that deep, self-revelatory kind of relationship, you got to do the hard work and risk it and decide that you're going to enter into covenant relationship because if you're going to have that kind of relationship, you better believe there's going to be some disagreement. You're going to come to a place where there is some kind of conflict. It's in marriage. It's in best friendships. It's in all relationships. If you want to stay surface, it's safe but empty. If you want to go into deep relationship, it's rewarding but costly. And so you've got to determine when someone hurts my feelings, I'm not going to just run. I'm going to lovingly try to work that out. I want to, to figure out how we can get through this because it's worth it. And I have determined voluntarily I'm going to enter into a covenant relationship with this person. And then by extension, this body of people, this, this group. And whenever you get a large group of anybody, it's not always going to be pretty, but it can and it is worth it. So you've got a covenant relationship. And, and notice, let's don't miss this about the things they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is where they started really doing life together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we, we look at that and say it's when the word of God is rightly preached or taught in class, what have you, you devote yourself to that. You've got that commitment to it. You've got that desire to understand it and then to apply it and then to live it in your life. That takes effort. That takes intentionality but also to the fellowship, to that koinonia fellowship. I want to play my part in this. I want to engage. I want to risk. I want to reveal myself. I want to trust. I want to learn how to forgive. That's all a part of it. Learning how to forgive, learning how to work through this is definitely a part of having koinonia relationship. And that's life in a fallen world as believers in Jesus. We have to learn how to do that. And it's hard and it's painful and yada, 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 all of that. It's rough. We know that. But the next part of this is established by the effectual, I didn't mean to scrub that out. I really didn't. I agree with it. The effectual call of the Father. <coughs> established by the effectual call of the Father. And what we're talking about, the effectual call, it's the, the call that leads to salvation. There's a general call that goes out throughout the entire world. The gospel is proclaimed throughout the world. There's an effectual call. When somebody hears it, they understand it, they respond to it, and it leads to salvation. And so there is a bit of an exclusive aspect to Koinonia Fellowship. We don't deny that. 
Like it's it's not inclusive for just anybody everywhere. There are some exclusivity, uh, exclusive aspects of this, which is you have to be truly a part of the ecclesia of the church, and that involves being a part of the family of God through faith. So only those who have been redeemed can truly be a part of the ecclesia, can be a part of the church, because the church is by definition the body of called out ones to salvation, redeemed, therefore, uh, a part of the family of God, and that equips us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We're not a a social club. We're not just a a business proposition. We're not anything, just a social thing. This is something that is real and dynamic and meaningful and purposeful, and only those who, who have been equipped by God, called out, can be a part of that. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, Paul said, God is faithful. You were called by him. There's that word called. You were called by him into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That word fellowship is koinonia. You were called into this koinonia with his son. So it is a calling of the father. Now, we then we get into the next part, which is, you were called, uh, it's the official call of the Father into unity with Christ. In 1 John 1, 3, we see what we have seen and heard. Remember, this is John writing this. John, one of the apostles, one of the three inside uh, apostles of, of the inner circle of Jesus. We have seen, we have heard. He's giving personal testimony of he and the other apostles who were with Jesus. What we have seen and we have heard, we declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. There is a unity that is formed there, and that word fellowship and that word fellowship are both koinonia. So you're called into this. You are united with Christ. You have fellowship. And our testimony to you is so that you can have the fellowship with us united in Christ. We could look back at 1 Corinthians 1.9 as well that says essentially the same thing. Called, uh, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So both of those verses talk about a unity with Christ that is required and is the only way in which we can have true koinonia fellowship. So we go back. It is a unity with Christ based on the atoning work of Christ, based on the atoning work of Christ. Philemon chapter 6, Paul says, <coughs> excuse me, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. I pray that your participation in the faith. So this phrase right here, participation in the faith, is koinonia tes pisteos. Koinonia, you see that, pistis is faith. So your fellowship in the faith, your participation in the faith, you being a part of the faith, having that Jesus uh, unifying relationship makes you a part of this. So I pray that your participation in the faith, in the fellowship, will be become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. So we participate. 
we are in fellowship with Christ through the atoning work of Christ on the cross, received by faith for the forgiveness of sin, lived out in fellowship with one another, which is the last part of that definition that we saw. And so this is faith in action. We start to put all this together. We see how this relationship with each other leads to something really, really dynamic that goes well beyond a social club, that goes well beyond just getting together to hang out or just getting together just to hear a sermon, just getting together for a fellowship meal, just getting together to go to Dave and Buster's, which was a lot of fun with the guys a week ago. Those types of things are good, but it's so much deeper. And if that, and if we're only on that level where it's like, man, I like having lunch together. That's, that's pretty cool. I like coming on Sunday morning because I get encouraged. I like to go out to Dave and Buster's or I like to go out where the ladies go out. I like to do this stuff. That's not koinonia. We're, we're not there yet. If that's what we think. Those are simply means to an end. Those are vehicles through which koinonia can be developed among the body of Christ. And so you see how if we're just on the outskirts, if, if we're just doing these things to kind of make us feel better in some way, whatever our motivation may be, we're not yet at koinonia. We're not yet living in that kind of relationship with each other. The kind of faith that we have in Christ is faith in action throughout the church because by faith we do what we would otherwise be unable to do. When it's hard to love, and it's sometimes hard to love, we do so more fervently and actively because we know that the enemy wants to destroy us but we also know that perfect love casts out fear, so we risk everything to love like Jesus does. When it's hard to forgive, we do so in faith because we know we have been forgiven much. When it's hard to persevere, we bind ourselves together in faith because we know Christ is in our midst and he promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. When it's hard to believe, we pray together in faith because we know that the binding and loosing of spiritual matters has been given to the church as they boldly cry out together before the throne of God in faith. And when it is hard to stand, we bind ourselves together, carrying one another's burdens in faith because we know it is the strength of Christ working through his church to make them overcomers. What we have here is good. What we have here as a fellowship is good. It's getting better. I've, I've seen it. I've watched how it's getting better. But I believe that it can be great. I believe that it can be great. Something that makes a difference. Something that makes people who hear about this fellowship of believers stop and take notice. Not because we're great, but because our God is great. And we are living in the kind of koinonia, fellowship, relationship that is hard to overlook because God is doing something within us that is so spectacular that it, that it helps people realize what they don't have, but that they could have. But that they, didn't, they don't know that they need it, but then they find out that I'm missing that in my life and I need that. I need something more. So first, we need to be a network 
uh, we need to be networks of people within the church. And here's kind of where we're getting to the rubber meets the road part on this. We know that we have people in any group, but even within the church that we click with most. We have some relationships where we've developed naturally and we trust those people. And so we have these groups, maybe a D group, a discipleship group. If you're not familiar with that, four or five people get together and they, they, they work at building this kind of koinonia group, if you will, uh, among people where they, they're self-revelatory. They, they put it out there. They care for each other. They meet each other's needs. Those things happen on that, that micro scale. And so you have these groups that you grow in that. But if we have those kind of groups and people within the church, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But if one of the people or each of the people within that group starts to reach out to somebody they don't yet know very well, and that happens too, just a room of people this size, there are people in here you don't know very well. But what if over the coming year you decided, I want to get to know somebody else on that level? And then you have each person within that group doing that, and people in other groups of trust start to do that as well, what you start to see is a web, a network of people being established together. Connections being made with people that we didn't know before on a deeper level. And those networks are growing tighter and tighter and more interconnected and more interconnected. And what you can find, even in a year, of reaching out and growing new relationships while maintaining the relationships you have, you will have a web, a network that cannot be broken. And you will be blessed all the more because of the other brothers and sisters of Jesus that you now have in your life and you can trust. And so the growth, the trust level begins to grow within that church. And we start to see koinonia happening all over the place. We need to do this. We have to be an outpost of grace. An out, the definition of an outpost, a detachment of troops stationed at a distance from a main force to guard against surprise attacks. That's the general definition. We need to be an outpost of grace. We are not home yet. Our main, our main home base, we're not there yet. But we can be an outpost of grace an outpost of, of the grace of Jesus in the world. We can live that kind of life where we are reminding each other of hope. When it's going tough, when it's hard, when we don't know how we're going to make it, whether it's financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever, we don't feel like we're going to make it. We need to be an outpost of hope where we remind each other through our presence, being present, meeting those needs, that the grace of Jesus flows through us. We truly are the hands and the feet of Jesus to one another, where we are showing each other mercy, where we are committed to staying the course of heaven. We're staying the narrow way, right? No matter how anti-Christian the world around us gets, we are determined. We are not of this world. This is not home. So we shouldn't be surprised when people who are not of our home don't like us. But we can show grace intentionally spilling all of that over on a world that doesn't know how much they need that too. We need to be determined to be an outpost of grace. Let's pray together.
Lord God, without your spirit, these are just words. Without a movement among your people, it doesn't matter what we say we want to be or going to be. We're not going to be. But Lord, I know because the grace you've given us in Christ and the comforter you have given us through the Holy Spirit, Father, you can and will make us into what you have designed us to be in Christ. <laughs> so my prayer, Lord Jesus, is that we individually will begin to rethink church fellowship, what it really means to be the church, what it really means to, to have a fellowship among one another. Lord, the world needs your church. Pray that we will be that church. God, we are doing it so imperfectly. And I know that you, you understand that, but you call us to more, deeper, stronger, being more faithful, more committed. Not to do more, Lord, just to be more. Or just to be the church. Give us such a joy in Christ, Lord, that that's what we want to do. This is not a chore. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is what we want to do. I want to be with my brothers and sisters. I want to hear their amazing stories of overcoming. I want to hear their struggles that I can pray for and encourage them. That I want to do these things because of the work that you're doing in my life and the work that you're doing in each other's lives. God, I do believe that we can be a force that the enemy shudders at and not a bit of that is because of our goodness our strength our power our attitude our, none of that lord it is because of the work that jesus does within this body as we grow closer to jesus and walk with jesus more on a daily daily basis May we not be guilty of trying to build a church to our liking, according to our whims, having personal agendas, having personal preferences, but that we will submit to what the Word says we are to be, and that we would do that without apology, without turning to the right or to the left, Lord, that we would be strong in what we know and what we believe, and we would not shake no matter what the enemy comes against us with. You said your church will withstand any attacks. The gates of hell shall not prevail against your church, Lord. May that be so in us for the glory of Christ. Amen. I invite you to stand together as we sing a song of response and celebration and giving glory to Jesus because he is worth it. He is the reason we are here. And then we'll conclude with a, uh, a time of communion together, um, celebrating what Jesus has done. Let's sing.